God, there's something special about gathering on Easter Sunday as we remind ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. God, we are reminded that through Jesus' death, he gave the death of death, that he defeated our sin. Lord, he conquered our enemy and that he has made a way for us to have peace with you. So God, we gather under the banner of King Jesus today, who is not dead, but who is alive, who is seated at your right hand with all authority and all power. Lord, I thank you for this morning, and we pray that you would help us to study your word well. God, help us to see the beauty of Jesus in this passage on Easter Sunday. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the joys in life is receiving an invitation. I'm sure you've been there before where you go out to your mailbox, grab your mail, starting to sift through the mail, and you find an invitation. Maybe it's an invitation to a birthday party or an invitation to a wedding or maybe a, a baby shower. And you finally grab hold of that invitation. You open it up, and, and something goes on within your own heart. You feel affirmed. You feel validated. You think to yourself, or maybe you say out loud, wow, Susie does really like me. Or maybe you say out loud, man, I don't really like Susie, but I'm glad that she likes me and invited me to her birthday party. But nevertheless, all kinds of emotions come flooding into our heart whenever we receive an invitation. Most of the time, it's a positive emotion. And I say most of the time because sometimes we get invited to things that uh, we're not really sure why we're invited to it. Maybe you don't know the person very well or you don't really want to go to that event. I remember one time when um, early on in, in our marriage, Lindsay and I got invited to this wedding, and we looked at who was inviting us, and I was like, I don't, I don't know these people. Do you? And she goes, no, I don't, I don't know them. Like, I thought you knew them. And we just kind of left there kind of confused, like, who are these people, and why are they inviting us to their wedding? Well, a few days went by, and I remembered I had this random class freshman year in college with the groom, and somehow he invited us to his wedding. It left us kind of confused. And invitations can do that. Invitations where you hold it up and you're like, what does this mean? And, and what is my relationship with the person that's inviting me this to? Well, what's that all about? And no matter what emotion comes into your heart when you receive an invitation, I think that there are three aspects to nearly every invitation. There's the context of an invitation. In other words, your relationship with the person that's inviting you to the event, your history with them. And then secondly, the content of the invitation. So what does the invitation say? And then thirdly, the response to the invitation, if you're going to go to it or if you're not. I believe that those three aspects of the invitation is what we're going to see in John chapter 7. See, on Easter Sunday, we're going to learn about this invitation that Jesus extends to every single person in this room. That it's a type of invitation that when you hear it and when you understand it, it's almost impossible to decline. It's a type of invitation that when you say yes to it and you respond to it by faith, it will change your life forever. And so let's learn what this invitation that Jesus extends to all of us in John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. Word of God reads this way. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, 
For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, like I said in the beginning, in nearly every invitation, there is a context, a content, and a response. I'm going to highlight each of those three aspects in this invitation that Jesus makes in John chapter 7. Let's begin looking at the context of the invitation. Now, what I mean by the context of of an invitation involves really two aspects. Number one, it involves your relationship with the person that's inviting you, your history with them, but also the circumstances that are taking place in your life. I think those are the two most important factors in saying yes to an invitation or saying no to an invitation. Typically, we don't get invited to things by complete strangers out of the blue. There's always a context to an invitation. And depending on this context, that leads us to saying yes or to saying no. Now, in order for us to understand this amazing invitation by Jesus, we have to understand the context of this invitation. If you look with me at verse 37, verse 37 sheds some light on the context of what's taking place. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now this verse supplies a lot of context in helping us understand this invitation. It explains both the circumstances going on and also a little bit about Jesus' relationship with the Jews at this time. That during this invitation, verse 37 tells us that Jesus is attending this feast. Now the feast is now on the last day, but it is the great day. Now this feast was called the Feast of Booze, or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of three major feasts that the Jewish people celebrated every year. In fact, Jews from all over would gather here in Jerusalem at the temple in order to go through this eight-day-long celebration and party uh, by celebrating God's goodness of what he bestowed upon their great forefathers. Now, something powerful would happen during the eight days of this feast. Every single day, the Jewish people would gather at the temple, and the priest would lead the Jewish people to a nearby pool. Now, the priest had this golden pitcher with him, and he would draw water from that pool. And once he drew water from the pool, all of the Jewish people, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, would erupt in celebration and praise and worship. They would have loud singing and trumpets blasting and flutes playing. They'd have these palm branches waving, and they would just erupt in this large celebration. 
Then the priest would lead all of the Jewish people back to the temple. He would ascend back on this platform, and he would spill the water out of this golden pitcher. Now, he did this every single day during the Feast of Booze in order to celebrate how God provided water for their great, 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 great forefathers back in the wilderness. If you know the Old Testament, you'll remember that God had saved and redeemed the Jewish people from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh. He performed the the ten plagues and through the, the crossing of the Red Sea. But then God provided for his people through many years in the wilderness and in the desert. He protected them in their shelters or their booze during the wilderness time. He provided food, but he also provided water. And during the Feast of Booze was the time that they would celebrate all that God did for their great forefathers. Now, something very interesting would take place on the last day of this Feast of Booze. And this is where it gets interesting in our passage this morning. On the last day of the Feast of Booze, the priest would lead the Jewish people to the pool and then back to the temple. He would ascend on the top of that that platform and he would raise the golden pitcher high up in the air. But instead of that pitcher being filled with water, it was empty. And he would kind of tilt the golden pitcher and no water would come out. And at that moment, it went silent. The singing would stop, the celebration ceased, the trumpets and and the flutes were mute. And there was this sacred hush that fell over the Jewish people for several minutes. And they'd be in that, that, that state of, of just silence and, and introspection, thinking about what life would be like if God did not provide water for them. So Jewish people still needed to make supplications before God for water because Jerusalem was a very dry land. They needed rain for their crops and water for them to drink in order uh, to live. And so it's during this moment, during the feast, the last day, when it's silence, that Jesus then stands up and makes this most amazing invitation. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That Jesus speaks into the silence and offers this invitation that's extended to to every single person. Now you have to understand, this, this would have been a crazy moment. Like, this would have been a crazy moment because of the context, not only because of the sacredness of that moment, this was the most sacred time in in the whole entire feast, but also because of Jesus' relationship with the Jews. There was a group of people here that he's making this invitation to that wanted to kill Jesus, and yet he still interjects and makes the greatest invitation of all time. Now, it's helpful to understand the context because that's going to impact the response to the invitation that we're going to look at in a couple of minutes. But the second thing I want to point out about this invitation is the content. What does the the invitation mean? What is this invitation all about? That Jesus stands up in the most important moment in the Feast of Booze, and in verses 37 and 38 makes his invitation, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's important to know that Jesus had watched this scene unfold each of the last several days. Even more so, Jesus has watched this scene over uh, every year of the last several years since he was uh, a little kid. That he has seen thousands and thousands of Jewish worshipers coming into Jerusalem And they performed these these rituals according to the festival. 
They say the right things at the exact same, you know, at the right time, and yet they completely miss the significance of what this ceremony was all about. And so what Jesus does here is he stands up and he wants to clear up the misunderstanding of what this great great feast was all about. That Jesus standing up is not interrupting the feast, but Jesus is interpreting the feast. That in essence, what Jesus is saying in this moment is that your souls are thirsty and I am the only one that can satisfy your thirsty souls because I am the source of living water. What Jesus is declaring in this moment, in this great feast, is that if you thought that your great forefathers were thirsty in the desert, that is nothing compared to the condition of every human heart. So you have to understand what Jesus is doing here. He is is using a physical reality of thirst in order to communicate a spiritual truth about himself. And, And it's brilliant. I mean, think about thirst for a moment. Think about uh, the, the moment in your life in which you are most thirsty. Not just a little bit thirsty, but like, incredibly thirsty. Like maybe on the verge of dehydration. Like when you're that thirsty, like your throat is so dry, you can barely swallow. You know, the, the tongue in your mouth like is sticking to the roof of your mouth. Like maybe you just got done with a long distance run or you were working outside in the hot sun. But in that moment when you are that thirsty, it's not hard to convince you to drink water. Like, you are very aware and very convinced of your thirstiness. Like, in that moment, you're not going to grab hot coffee. You're not going to grab hot chocolate. Like, you want water or you want Gatorade. Or if you're, my, if you're my wife, you want LaCroix, which I do not like, and that's kind of an ongoing debate. But you want something to satiate your thirstiness. And I think that that same principle applies to our own souls spiritually, That in order to receive this invitation that Jesus extends to us, we have to be aware of the thirstiness of our own soul. So Jesus stands up and he shares with the Jewish people and he shares with us this morning that if you want to say yes to this invitation, you have to own your own thirstiness. You have to acknowledge that your soul is dry, it's parched, it's thirsty, and it's grasping for something to quench it's thirstiness. Now look, some of us, we, we know that. Like we know that in order to come to Jesus, we need to understand our unneediness. And yet the reality is, is that what we sometimes do, instead of coming to Jesus, we will quench our thirsty souls with so many other things besides Jesus. Like I know this is true in my own life. I was just thinking through like, what do I tend to run to instead of Jesus to quench my thirsty soul. And three things popped up in my mind that I want to share with you this morning, and maybe you can relate to me today. One of, one of the first things that I tend to run to instead of Jesus to satisfy my thirsty soul is sin. Just to be blunt with you, it's things that God has outlined in the Bible that I should not do that I run to because of the, the, the promise of sin. That sin promises satisfaction Sin promises to quench our thirsty souls, and sin might taste good in the beginning. It might satisfy a little bit on the front end, but it leaves a bitter aftertaste and causes destruction in our lives. Another example of things that we can run to instead of Jesus to quench our thirsty souls is accomplishments or successes, that we can look to things that we've done in our lives, whether it's in relationships or in our careers or, or other fields. And we can look to those things to quench our thirsty souls. 
Now, it's a good thing to, to work hard and to achieve goals and to pursue excellence. But when you look at your achievements as not just something that you do, but something that you are, that's when it becomes unhealthy and a bad thing. When you look to those things to satisfy what your soul is yearning for, that's when it becomes unhelpful. And then the third thing is relationships. This is another way that we want to quench our thirsty souls, whether it's a relationship with a spouse or a child or maybe a parent or a close friend. And just like accomplishments, we can look to those relationships to quench our thirsty souls. Relationships are a good thing. Prioritizing your friendships and relationships with your family members is an absolutely good thing. But when it becomes something that validates your existence or satisfies your deep yearnings, that's when it becomes an unhealthy thing. Like I'm sure that there's other things that maybe you run to besides Jesus to satisfy your soul. But I just want to ask you the question, does any of those things resonate with you today? Like, did any of those things, do you say, yeah, that, that's me. Like, I, I run to that instead of Jesus. Like, I want you to know, when we say yes to those other things, we are saying no to this invitation that Jesus extends to every single one of us. Yet the reality is, is that we cannot avoid this search that we're all on for satisfaction. Like, we all have this chronic restlessness within us to be satisfied. We have this, this insatiable thirst for something to quench our souls. And, and I think the reason for that is so that we would keep looking and searching and finding uh, until we actually find Christ. That we would keep looking to all these other things that do not satisfy so that we can end up finding Jesus who was the one that will satisfy our souls. Now, there's a reason why the sin that you might pursue and the accomplishments that you throw yourself into and the relationships that are in your life, there's a reason why those things do not fully satisfy. And the reason is, is that you were made for God, that you were made to be satisfied with God, that the spiritual taste buds of your soul were created in a way to enjoy this, this relationship with God and God alone. And yet the problem is, is that we're all sinners, like, we all, we all mess up. And, and the fundamental meaning of sin is thirsting for things besides Jesus. Because of our sinful nature, we have a condition of a diseased uh, spiritual taste buds that we don't desire the things that we ought to because of the sin that's in our lives. And yet part of God's grace, part of what he does as he draws us to uh, himself is he will actually frustrate our desires. Like those things that we look at to, to satisfy us, they, they actually just leave us being more thirsty. They leave us searching for more. And that is actually an act of God's mercy and grace as he's drawing us to himself. As one church father said, he said, Our souls are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. We have this Jesus-shaped hole in our hearts that can only be filled with Jesus. Like, I wonder if you're here this morning and you would say that you've been searching. I wonder if you're here today and you would say that your soul is thirsty. Maybe you describe your soul as being dry or parched and it's searching for satisfaction outside of Jesus. Look, if that's you this morning, if you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for something, can I just lovingly draw your attention to this amazing invitation that Jesus extends to you this morning? 
That what Jesus says is that if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. It's exactly what he's saying. He's offering this invitation. He's putting it in your lap this morning and saying, are you thirsty? Come to me. Are you weighed down by the burdens of your life? Come to me. Do you desire satisfaction? Jesus says, come to me and drink. Are you burdened by the bad things that you've done in your life? Jesus says, come to me and drink. He doesn't say, clean up yourself before coming to me. No, no, he says, come to me and drink. Don't say that you're going to clean yourself up and become a better person before coming to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me with all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your messiness. Come to me and drink and you will be satisfied. Like you need to know that invitation is not reserved for the religious, high spiritual people. That is reserved for sinners like you and me who have a thirstiness in our soul that can only be quenched by Jesus. That when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to drink of you by faith. I want to believe in you. What we are doing is we are declaring that we cannot save ourselves that we are expressing our own trust and our own faith upon Jesus and what he has accomplished for us in the cross and in the resurrection. And we are saying, only you can save me from my sin. Only you can satisfy the deep longings in my soul. And something amazing happens when you say yes to that invitation. And this is part of the, the content of what's inside this invitation is that God gives you things. Number one, your sins are forgiven when you receive this invitation. Number two, you receive a relationship with God, that you receive eternal life. You will be in heaven with God forever and ever. And then another thing that you receive, according to to verse 39, is that rivers of living water will actually flow out of your life. And that's actually a reference to the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying there is that when you come to Jesus and believe in him and say yes to this invitation, God actually lives inside of you, helping you to follow a new master for your life. Look, the reason, reason why Jesus can make this invitation is because from this point in time during the Feast of Booze, about six months from now, Jesus will actually get up on a cross and he will die to take away the sins of the world. The reason why Jesus can, can make this invitation to all people It's because Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, the creator of all that we see, will get up on a cross and he will remove the penalty of our sin, the sin that we have committed. Jesus will die in our place. See, the reality is is that our sin had to be dealt with. That because God is the creator and because of our sin, he gives consequences for our sin And the consequences of our sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. And yet the beauty of Jesus, can I just tell you why I love Jesus so much? Why we celebrate Easter every year in this way? It's because Jesus said, I'll take it all. I'll take all of the consequences of the whole world's sin. I'll take it all upon me. I'll take the world's sin and shame and guilt. You place all of the bad things that you have done and you place it on me. And as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, the Father's wrath was poured out, not on you, not on me, but it was poured out on Jesus. Look, the amazing thing is that he was our great substitute, that that should have been us up there on that cross paying for our sins. And yet Jesus, the perfect son of God, 
took our place. And the beauty of Easter and the reason why we celebrate King Jesus today is three days later, he did not stay dead. Oh no, he, he rose again, that God raised him from the dead. And this is the foundation of our faith. This is why Easter is such a big deal. It's because Jesus being raised from the dead was a demonstration that your sin has been dealt with once and for all. That your past sins, your present sins, your future sins have been paid in full that our enemy has been defeated, that death could not hold him down, and that there is no more wrath left for us because Jesus took it all on the cross. Okay, now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and there is coming a day in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Aren't you thankful for the resurrection this morning that because the resurrection is true, that your sin doesn't define you, that your past has no power over you today, that death will not get the final say, that your future is secure in heaven. I mean, just, just think about this mind-blowing invitation that, that Jesus is making to every single one of us, that if you're thirsty today, he offers eternal life to satisfy your soul. Think about that for a moment. Like, God can actually forgive us of our sins. God can actually love us who are sinners and who are enemies of him. He can lavish his love and grace upon us. And the question I have for us this morning, as we look at this last aspect of an invitation, is what will you do with this invitation today? This invitation that is based upon what Jesus has accomplished, not based upon you or your good works or you being so moral, but this invitation that he extends is all because of what Jesus has done. What will you do with this invitation this morning? I find it interesting in the passage, when you look at verses 40 through 52, that one of the startling realities is that Jesus will soon be crucified on the cross by the very same people that Jesus made the invitation to in our passage this morning. As Jesus stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Those same people want him dead and want him to be crucified. So on Easter Sunday, I want to ask you a question. What, what are you going to do with this invitation? Like maybe you're here today and you've already responded to this invitation. Maybe you've already said yes to saying, yes, Jesus, you will satisfy my soul. I believe in you. I put my faith and trust in you. But maybe there are others of us who are here today and you haven't made that decision yet. You haven't said yes to the invitation of Jesus to inherit eternal life and to have your sins forgiven. Look, maybe you've been trusting in your own goodness, your own church attendance, or your own morality. And maybe you're hearing this this morning that the only way to be saved is through your faith and trust in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross for you. Look, if that's you this morning, like, I just want to exhort you to not leave this place without making the most important decision of your life by saying yes to this invitation of Jesus to come to him, to come to him with, with all of your burdens, with all of your baggage, all of your sin, and come to him and find forgiveness for your sins, find acceptance into his family, and experience eternal life with him forever. Look, that's why we celebrate Easter, 
to extend this free gift to all that we see because Jesus did all the work on our behalf so that when God looks at us, he receives us and he loves us and he accepts us. So I want to pray in just a moment here, and I want to just praise the Lord for this invitation on Easter Sunday. But if you're here and you're wondering, yeah, I want to say yes to that invitation. I just don't know how or what that looks like. I'm just going to pause and I'm going to help just provide some language for you to say to the Lord in this moment. And there's nothing special or holy about these words. In fact, a prayer is not what saves you. It's your faith in Jesus that saves you. But I just want to provide some helpful just language for you to use as you want to receive this invitation from Jesus this morning. So let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that on Easter Sunday that we can praise Jesus, that he's not dead, but he's alive. We praise you that Jesus has defeated the grave. We praise you, Jesus, that that you have made a way for us to be accepted before God, that you have paid for our sins, that we can be free. God, that you offer this invitation for all who believe. So thank you, King Jesus. And for those of you who want to receive this invitation, just in the quietness of your own heart in this moment, you can repeat after me or make these words your own this morning. God, I thank you for this free gift of eternal life. God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I am unable to save myself. Jesus, thank you that you died in my place on the cross, that you paid for my sins. And God, I place my faith and my trust upon Jesus wholly and completely to save me and to bring me eternal life. God, help me to follow you and to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.